Hi there. It's me, Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney and the founder of It's Over Easy, the online divorce service. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, shepherding people through what may be one of the most terrifying times in their lives. Along the way, I often have to remind people to lower their expectations. When dealing with matters of the heart, rules simply don't apply because all's fair in love and war. So welcome to the All's Fair podcast. Fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hey, it's Laura Wasser, host of the All's Fair podcast on iHeartRadio. I'm a family law attorney, which is really a euphemism for a divorce attorney, and I've been practicing for over 20 years. And I'm Johnny Raines, the producer and casting director who went to law school, and now I work for Laura. I spent about half my life guiding families toward a better future, and I've noticed some really interesting things about interpersonal relationships, which is why we wanted to do the All's Fair podcast and talk specifically about matters of the heart and how people behave going through romantic hookups, breakups, becoming parents, buying first homes, losing a parent, all that fun stuff. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Moving on to the latest headlines. Do you have anything ripped from the headlines, Johnny? I mean, today's show is a little bit heavy. Yes. um, And that's why we kind of sandwich it with some levity at the beginning and the end. But it is a very serious subject. And I think some of the things that you've pulled from the headlines actually dovetail with what it is we'll be speaking about on All Sphere today. Well, before we get to the heaviest subjects, did you know that married people have happier, healthier relationships than unmarried couples who live together? Data shows? I would imagine that that would be the case. I was surprised to hear that, actually, because it does seem like as a married person looking at some of my friends who are single that they just have such a free life. Well, are they living with their partners? Some are, but some aren't. Okay. So, I mean, it is interesting. We've talked about this before on the show. Young adults nowadays are more likely to live together instead of immediately tying the knot and even have kids without being married. Um, which I did, and it worked out well for me. So I, I just I think that the whole idea and fantasy of marriage, mm-hmm. some people doesn't factor in until they've actually you know tried out the good, so to speak. They they want to they want to buy the cow after they've gotten the milk for free for a while. Well, speaking of getting the milk for free, they these couples may be happier, but women in marriages report greater levels of satisfaction with their sex lives than men. Hmm, that's interesting. I agree. And and that's in hetero couples. But this article from the Washington Post talks about how cohabitation does not deliver the same levels of happiness, trust, and well-being. Right. So again, that's I think what we want to focus on. So talking about domestic violence and intimate partner abuse. I don't know if you saw the video that Melissa Benoit posted on her Instagram, but in case you didn't, I have it right here. So I don't normally do things like this, but I've written something that I want to share um, and I wanted it to stay my words and and not have to edit it down for publishing. So I thought um, I'm going to read it out loud and I'm quite nervous, so bear with me. I am a survivor of domestic violence or IPV intimate partner violence, which is something I never in my life expected, I would say, let alone be broadcasting into the ether. He was a magnanimous person who didn't really give you a choice not to be drawn to him. He could be charming. 
I just think, I mean, it's it's really powerful, this whole video. She goes on for about 14 minutes talking about it. And uh, it's it's crazy what happened to her. I mean, if you read the article in Harper's Bazaar, you get all these horrible details that she reveals about what happened to her in her previous relationship. So she's married now. Yeah, she's married now to a great guy who um, I do not believe. I mean, she doesn't name the abuser, but I mean, he seems like a great guy. He The abuser seems like a great no, guy? No, her oh. current husband. Okay, because on Thanksgiving, her current husband yeah. tweeted, I'm going to kiss my wife and hold her tenderly all day and every day. Yes. How do you show love? It's a uh, trending hashtag. Right. Like tons of celebrities have also been using that hashtag on their Twitter feeds. Hashtag I stand with Melissa. It's really brave. And again, as we have discussed, it doesn't discriminate. This is a young woman who is a television star. She's beautiful. Assumedly, she makes a good living. And for her to come out and do this, it's brave. And it also shows people watching Instagram, listening to the All's Fair podcast, experiencing our world as we do, that having a conversation about something that's going on of which you may feel ashamed, of which you may feel uncomfortable, is important because I'm certain that there are other people who have seen this who have now been emboldened to come out to yes. show the rest of us that this is non-discriminatory, could happen to anyone. That's why we like having those conversations here on All's Fair. So props to Melissa and... Um, her husband, Chris Wood. And her current husband. Hashtag I stand with Melissa. Yes. When we come back, we will be speaking with Vivian Ingle. She will help us understand some of the red flags an abuser may exhibit in a relationship. Um, she's a psychotherapist and an integral player in the incredible work being done at the Jewish Family Service Center of Los Angeles. They're one of the organizations here in Southern California that shelters victims of domestic abuse and their families. She will be speaking to us about many, many ways that domestic violence and intimate partner abuse manifest themselves and she brought somebody to share her story with us as well. Domestic violence does not discriminate. More than a third of women in 1 in 12 men have experienced intimate partner violence in their lifetime. This is according to the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey. Anyone would agree that's too many. If you're asking yourself what you can do to help, please keep listening. We've invited Vivian Engel to help us understand some of the red flags an abuser may exhibit in a relationship so we know what to look for and what to do about it. She's a psychotherapist and an integral player in the incredible work being done at the Jewish Family Services of Los Angeles. They're one of the organizations here in Southern California which shelters victims of domestic abuse and their families. Welcome to All's Fair, Vivian. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about you. We know you're an LMFT in LA, but I want to know how you specifically got into this field and what kind of motivates you every day to deal with something that is scary and, and yucky. Yeah. So I got into this field quite by accident. I was finishing my um, hours towards my licensure, and I was working at Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles at a different counseling program and I needed more hours and somebody said you know that we have a domestic violence program would you want to work there and my initial reaction was no way this was not a population I felt comfortable with I had a lot of preconceived notions and stereotypes what I knew about domestic violence was what I saw on cops right on tv and but I decided to take the risk and I took the position and the rest is, you know, history. I loved it. I was fascinated. All of my, 
all of my biases and all the the things that I kind of envisioned or imagined um, a victim of domestic violence to look like were completely debunked. And I've been there for the last 10 years working, you know, in the front lines, seeing clients, facilitating groups, doing education, and it's been the pleasure of my of my career. What's one of the biggest myths that was debunked? I have I think I have also preconceived notions or I have had them and mm-hmm. as you know I work with kind of high profile, high wealth clients and when you see somebody dressed to the nines that could, you know, go to dri- driving a nice car come in and actually say I'm a victim of domestic violence, it's kind of like wait, what? You don't live in the hood. So give us some other ones in terms of gender, in terms of socioeconomic, because right. I think our listeners need to know. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think th- most commonly people think that this really only affects low income, maybe immigrant, uneducated populations. And the truth is that domestic violence doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care what your gender is, what your race is, how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, that anybody can be impacted by violence in the home. And one of my first clients that I saw was a woman who was in her 60s from a very affluent community in Los Angeles, Caucasian, married, lived in a very expensive home. And she was living with somebody who was terrorizing her all the time. And this was completely different than my image. So doesn't matter, Jewish, not Jewish, you know, Poor, rich, educated. Male, female? Male, female. Male on male, female on female. Okay, so you have a BA from UCLA and a master's in therapy from Phillips Graduate Institute. Correct. When people are talking to you, do they want to know about your background? I mean, how does that come into play? Sometimes, but most of the time, I think when somebody's coming in for therapy and particularly around... um, domestic violence, they just want to talk and share their story and they want somebody to listen to them and not tell them maybe some of the things that they've heard from family or friends if they've even disclosed it. I'm not going to tell you you need to leave your relationship. I'm not going to ask you why you are staying. I'm not going to make you feel judged the way maybe somebody's judged you before. So are they interested in me? Sometimes. Sometimes they want to know if I've ever been in an abusive relationship. But the conversation quickly shifts to really helping them talk about what they've been through. Do you ever worry, Vivian, that you're giving somebody guidance or help and that will actually exacerbate their situation? Definitely. It's something that I worry about. But I'm also really careful about going with what the client wants. So they're the expert. They know their situation better than I do. And so I let them guide me. If they say, I'm scared that my partner is going to kill me, then I encourage them and we look at safety strategies. I would never tell somebody who is feeling like they're in imminent danger that they have to leave the relationship if that might not be the solution for them. Leaving may not be the safest option. What is domestic violence. I mean, I think we think about it as yeah. a backhand or a push, yeah. but it's other things too, isn't it? It's all, it's a lot of different things. So domestic violence is a pattern of behavior. So we're really looking at a lot of different types of behaviors where one partner in an intimate relationship, so husband, wife, um, ex-girlfriend, current girlfriend, partners, where one partner tries to 
control and dominate the other partner using a variety of tactics. So we're talking about emotional abuse. What's emotional abuse? Name calling, put downs, constant insults, financial abuse, which is extremely common. We're talking about withholding money, um, ruining credit, um, prohibiting somebody from being able to work and be financially independent. There's sexual abuse, forcing sex, um, making somebody do sexual acts that they're not comfortable with, marital or relational rape. Um, there is psychological abuse, mind games. Um, have you ever, do you know what gaslighting is? Have you ever oh, heard yes. of Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm very good at gaslighting. <laughs> Sorry. Just so gaslighting <laughs> is one of the most common ways that somebody is psychologically kind of Abusive. torn. Of, Laura, yeah. let that be a lesson mm -hmm, to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you feel like you're going crazy. Um, and then there's physical abuse, which I think what people most commonly think about when they think about domestic violence. They're thinking of black eyes and bruising and broken limbs. And the truth is, is that most people, I mean, physical violence is common, and there are definitely people who are being physically abused and injured by their um, partners. But we see most commonly some of the other forms of abuse um, with more frequency, and that goes undetected oftentimes right. because somebody who's being emotionally, psychologically, even financially abused may not know that that's abuse. Right. And so your job as a mental health professional versus my job as an attorney, there's there's things that you can have people do to change the behavior, to move out of the relationship or fix the relationship that I can't do. I sit as Judge Pro Tem sometimes at Los Angeles Superior Court, and I see a lot of the requests for protective orders. Right. Many of the things that you listed don't rise to the level of actually getting a, a temporary restraining order. Right. So they would then come to you and say, okay, now what do I do? And again, the financial stuff is kind of on the bubble, but certainly the name calling. And I've had many judicial officers say, Name calling is not abuse. Yeah. Well, it is abuse. It's just not something that rises to the level of having a temporary restraining order. But for your clients, you need to say to them, we need to change this behavior. You cannot stay in this pattern. It's a dangerous relationship. Do you find that those things will escalate to a point where if the, that kind of name calling, control, um, threatening gets to the next level, now th the the abuser is in a situation where he or she feels comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, actually exerting some physical force? Well, so the abuse will absolutely escalate if it continues in the relationship. It may become physical. There's definitely, I've worked with clients who have never had any physical abuse and then over the course of their long-term relationship, it becomes physical, and sometimes it remains verbal, emotional, psychological. I have had so many clients sit in sessions with me and say, I just wish my husband would hit me. I would feel like my abuse was more legitimate, and I could actually go and get the restraining order. You right. know, you're bringing up one of the big dilemmas that um, we face in this field is where when we have this abuse that legally is in the gray, that you can't get a restraining order for ongoing verbal abuse. And the other thing that's really important to understand about verbal, emotional, psychological, financial abuse in a marriage is that it's woven into the fabric of the relationship. It is not necessarily just happening in fights or arguments. Some people think, well, you know, people fight and they don't say nice things to each other and they maybe will be verbally abusive during an argument. But in an abusive relationship, 
this is pretty constant. There are some periods where you're in a honeymoon phase and there's maybe less conflict, but almost daily, it's like a slow drip. Right. Almost daily, there's some deposit of abuse going on. And that becomes really hard to untangle and unpack. And then when it's happening to you all the time, your sense of reality becomes warped, your sense of self gets you know distorted, and it can be really hard to then kind of piece everything apart and be like, well, this is what's happening and this is what's been happening for so many years. And how do you counsel clients on how to change that pattern? I mean, what can you tell people listening right now in a brief podcast that should be, I mean, obviously they should seek some kind of mental health care counseling, but what are the things if somebody was sitting in your office that you would say in terms of now we, now we have unpacked it. Now we've seen what's going on. I, I'm acknowledging there is an issue. Now what? Well, so the unpacking process takes time. First, we have to name what's happening. We have to really say, this is domestic violence, and this is this type of abuse. Then we have to validate and normalize the client's symptoms and feelings that they have around this abuse. And then we start talking about options. Well, do you want to continue in this relationship? What would that look like? And we talk about boundaries. We talk about accessing support. Um, at Jewish Family Service Hope, we have counsel- We have group counseling for people who decide that they want to stay in the relationship where they're really taught coping skills. Um, we, And then if somebody says, no, I don't want the, to continue. I want to leave this relationship. I want to seek safety. Then we explore what those options. Is it shelter? Are there family members that you can go to? You know, what are your legal rights? Is it true that people who have been abused in their past, particularly when their kids become abusers, is that more likely? There is some statistics that show that if you are um, a child who grows up in a home where there is um, violence, that you are more likely to either perpetrate violence or be a victim of violence. And sometimes that follows very stereotypical gender, you know, kind of norms and roles where a female will be more likely to be a victim and a male more likely to be a perpetrator. But yes, we do see that if you grow up in a home where there is lots of chaos and trauma, you're more likely to perpetrate and 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 kind of continue the pattern or the cycle of abuse in your own family. Do you counsel the abusers as well? We don't. There are great programs in LA that do that, but we work primarily with the um, the victim or the identified victim and their family and children. And at Jewish Family Service, does one have to be Jewish? You do not have to be Jewish. We have Jewish in our name, but we service um, everybody in our com- in the community. You do not have to be Jewish. We will not ask you what your religious orientation is. What about false allegations? What about people? I mean, this is a big topic in yeah. my field because yeah. the rise of requests for domestic violence restraining orders has been exponential in the past three to four years. Yeah. And I have certain ideas of why that is. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of parties and attorneys using it as a leverage thing, which is really disheartening. Yeah. But what about somebody that really comes in and is either consciously or subconsciously manufacturing this abuse? So in the 10 years of my experience, I have only had one client who claimed to be the victim. And through our sessions and our interviewing process, it became clear that she was actually the perpetrator of the abuse. 
one in 10 years. So the, the truth is, is yes, of course, there's going to be some people who try to exploit the system, think that they can use it as leverage. But the reality is we're really good at what we do and it's hard to lie or fake abuse. And eventually it becomes too hard to keep up the story if, if in fact they're making that up. So we don't, I don't, I have not personally seen that as frequently. Probably those people are not seeking help. They're going straight to court. That's exactly it. I don't think they're, I mean, to go through an agency where you're walking through the door and you know that you're going to a a domestic violence program is hard. Most people don't want to walk through that door and admit that this is what's happening. If you're doing that, you really are trying to get help. So I know we're going to touch a little bit on this today, but broad strokes, co-parenting with an ex who was abusive. That's got to be very difficult. What would you counsel clients that come in and say, okay, now I've I've broken free from this relationship. I still have to, I can't make this person disappear from my life because right. we share a child or children. Yeah. I'm worried about my kids and I'm worried about the pattern of abuse, maybe not necessarily physical, but in terms of how we co-parent. Yeah, this is a really big issue. This is probably the thing that comes up the most in my work with people who have decided to separate. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why somebody would not leave is because I don't want to have a co-parenting relationship. I feel like I can protect my children better if I stay. So I'm going to stay and I'm going to stick it out until my child is whatever, 18, and then maybe I'll go. But we ha- we talk constantly about boundaries, about really disengaging. The abuse will continue. It's not that this is my ex-partner who was abusive to me. This is now my ex-partner who will continue to abuse me. Their tactics may change. So now there's a, you know, they don't have maybe direct access to me, but they're going to use my child or my children to get at me. And so this is an ongoing issue where we're dealing with what happens when one parent really doesn't share the same parenting philosophy and, in fact, is actively trying to undermine you as a parent and use your child as a messenger, as a spy, as collateral to really get at you. And so this is really a hard area for many of um, our clients and, and one of the barriers towards leaving. We speak a lot on this podcast and on our It's Over Easy website about how technology can really help mm-hmm. both divorcing couples, but also co-parents, yeah. keeping a lot of it instead of face-to-face or even yeah. over the phone via text or on some mm-hmm. of these apps. Um, I know that can be helpful also yeah. just in terms of distance and keeping the temperature down. How does technology factor into some of this abuse? I know that a lot of cyberbullying we've talked about on the show, is that also another means of abusing somebody? Absolutely. So now what we're seeing is so many, first of all, tracking apps. Right. I've had clients whose conversations have been transcribed and sent to their ex that they have on their cell phones. We have different identity masking apps too. So let's say we have a restraining order or a no contact order. You call me on a different number or on a program that kind of is always masking your phone number. And then just now with our, you know, we're on our phones, we're always accessible. Where domestic violence maybe 20 years ago was confined to the walls of your house, right? Now your partner or your abusive partner has access to you all the time. They're constantly bombarding you with text messages and emails. Where are you? What are you doing? I had a client that I saw for, for, for a while whose partner asked her to take a picture of every 
place she went to verify that she was where she said she was going. And so she was constantly at this this phone was like a leash and he always had access to her. Now you could just get one of the apps. So, so much easier. Yeah, so the apps are great. To stalk someone. <laughs> oh yeah. So, yes, but the communication Yay. apps are really great um, and have been helpful, but it requires both people to be willing to use it. And what we tend to see is that okay, you know, the the, the victim parent is like, yes, let's use one of these um, communication apps to streamline all of this. But the other parent doesn't want to do it. Right, doesn't want it's to a so- control thing. Because it's a control thing. And I also think we have to see that, you know, this idea of co-parenting, I think in the bigger picture, assumes that both parents are interested in raising the child and what, in the, what is in the best interest of the child. And they're willing to put kind of their marital issues or relational issues aside for the best interest of the child. But in a situation where there's been domestic violence, you have one parent who wants the best for their child and wants to just kind of move on. And you have the other parent, the abusive parent, who's not on the same page. Their goals are different. They don't want to do what's best for the for the child necessarily. They want to get at the other parent. In terms of male victims, yes. there must be... A tremendous amount of shame that comes with that. To be the guy that comes in and goes, I'm getting the shit beat out of me. I I won't hit my spouse, whether it's a man or a woman. I won't that I won't do that. I'm not violent, but I don't like getting beaten up by the other person. Yes. Tell us how you deal with that, because I think that's fascinating and I've had that situation before once and really, really I mean, look, it's horrible in any situation, but Watching a guy just, you know, coming in with bruises, so painful. It's so much harder. So the statistics around male victims is kind of surprising. We're, you know, one in three women are um, impacted by domestic violence. But the, the national statistics are actually closer to one in four men. So and that might be also, you know, slightly inaccurate because we men are just less likely to talk access, about, to it. Talk about mm-hmm. it, access services. So there's just underreporting around that in general. But the fact that it's almost happening at the same rate is really surprising. And yes, men face a lot more barriers around getting services, so much more shame um, around it. And what we often say when we have, and because we service, you know, we have men come to our agency all the time, that it is the same story in a different body, you know, that they have the same symptoms, the same fears, the same desires for their children if they have their children, but they then face a court system that doesn't necessarily believe them, that thinks that maybe they're the perpetrators, Um, family that's like, how can that be? You're two times the size of your, you know, or three times the size of your your girlfriend or slash boyfriend. How is it possible that they are physically abusive to you? And, or even verbally, emotionally. Right? Right. We don't need physical violence in, for men to be victims. Right. And oftentimes there's not physical violence in those situations either. I'm Laura Wasser, and this is the All's Fair podcast. All's fair in love and war, but there are some exceptions, which includes domestic violence, intimate partner violence, or abuse of any kind. If you or someone you know is involved in an abusive relationship, please reach out for help. Resources are listed in the synopsis of this episode, and you can find links on the index on itsovereasy.com to the Harriet Buhai Center in Los Angeles and the Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles. 
Lilac Tree in Chicago, which helps with divorce and domestic violence. And in Texas, a resource for legal and trauma counseling for domestic violence victims is called AVDA, A-V-D-A, Aid to Victims of Domestic Abuse. They offer services in Harris County, Houston, and Fort Bend County, neighboring county where Sugar Land, Richmond, and parts of Caddy and other outerlying towns are located. In Florida, there's a hotline, 1-800-500-1119, to assist victims of domestic violence throughout the state. And in New York State, there's an excellent organization called Sanctuary for Families. If you don't live in one of those cities, these organizations may be able to direct you to social service agencies where you live, and you can also ask at your local church, hospital, or local college. But how do you find the courage? Let me introduce you to Danielle. She's one woman who found the strength to leave and to co-parent with her ex. Welcome to All's Fair, Danielle. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here. Give us your story. I don't think I could possibly tell it better than you. <laughs> uh, well, I, I am. I don't fit the normal mold. I'm not in a heterosexual relationship. That's my hesitation in, in answering that question. Um, I'm in a lesbian relationship, or I'm, I identify as a lesbian, and so the person who was the um, the perpetrator in my situation was not a six foot six guy. It was a woman who's five foot four and I'm five foot ten. So what Vivian was just talking about, about how, you know, when men try to, you know, say something's happening to me and they go to court, for instance, um, the judge would go or the lawyers would go, well, wait a minute, what, there's a side. You're a big guy. You're a yeah. big guy, right? So my situation is I was in a, a relationship. Uh, we were together for uh, 12, 14, 15 years. Um, and in that process, we ended up, uh, having a, a daughter. I carried her. Um, she's now 12. Oh God, we were together for a lot longer. <laughs> oh, hell is an Time eternity. Time flies when you're hell being is a, Hell is an eternity, I'm telling you. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it started out slowly. And, and I think that's one of the things that's in, in, important to know is, you know, here I am, I'm, I, you know, I'm a minister. So, I counseled people. I would sit with people who would come to me and say, uh, this is happening to me. What do I do? How do I get out? How do I stay? How do I keep my dignity? And, you know, unfortunately, I had a lot of the biases that Vivian did. I'm like, what are you staying for? Right? Get out. Get out. Move right? on. Move on. Get, you know, throw him or her to the curb. And now here I was slowly figuring out or finding out that I'm in a similar situation, but it took years. So you're sitting there listening to people that you counsel and yeah. you're kind of saying, oh, well, that's not me because this is what's different or that's what's different. Yes. doesn't occur to you throughout any no. of this that no. it's sounding a little close yeah. to home. Yeah. And and so it started out, it, it really was emotional. It was demeaning every single part. By the time I left, every single part of my self was degraded and demeaned. From my parenting, my ministry, my upbringing, my education. I mean, here I am. I have a, I have a doctorate. I'm a, you know, an activist. I'm a mom, and you know, I, and here I was feeling as if I was nothing. So it started slowly. It started with the insults. It started with the demeaning. It, it was gaslighting. It, it, in retrospect, I'm like, ooh, controlling, and and the controlling was. It, it came in one of those ways of not this blatant controlling, but, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to go see a friend. Oh, I'd really prefer you stay home. 
I really don't, you know, you don't need to go out. I, I really want you here. So manipulation. Oh, hugely, hugely. And, you know, and, and then after we were together for a couple of years, um, uh, you know, she got mad at something and uh, threw a water bottle at me. And then a couple, about six months later, she got mad. And for the first time in my life, I had a black eye. So after the water bottle, after yeah. the black eye, is there a period of contrition where she's like, I'm so sorry, it'll Absolutely. never happen again, and there's this wonderful makeup, and you convince yourself yeah. that was a one-off, and now I we're going to be stronger than ever? I did. I, this, so all of that happened over a course of about five years, and then I, because of what I do, I got a flyer in the mail um, from... Jewish Family Services saying, come to uh, a, a uh, workshop on, you know, here's the, the ins and outs of domestic violence and what you can do as a service provider to help your clientele. You know, I as a minister, you know, those in my congregation. So I went and I sat in the back. I came in and I sat in the back, I think purposefully, because, you know, I didn't have any me. And, and, <laughs> and I listened one after another, the professionals and then those who had survived or who had escaped. And by the time it was done, I, I was almost in tears because I realized th they were telling my story. And then when somebody said, this happens to lesbians and gay men, is when it really hit me. Because I thought, like most people, how can it happen in a same-gender relationship? Right. And at the end of it, one of the uh, employees, one of the, one of the counselors for Jewish Family Services um, I went up to her very quietly at the end, and I said, um, hi, um, I'm a minister here in town, and I just, I think I need to talk to you. Wow. And so that was probably- I just got the chills again, by yeah. the way. You already told me this story, and yeah. I got the chills the second time. It was probably about eight or nine years ago, and I went and spoke to her, and uh, and I went to a, a, a beginner's group, if you will, and you know, I, I went to that. I went to to got support from the agency for probably about a year and a half before I finally left. I had to I had a to go bag in my in my trunk, um, but uh, I had a daughter who was a toddler and then a year and a half and then two years old. And and Vivian's right. And and the part that really for myself as a parent that was the hardest thing was do I stay or do I go? Right. Because of the kid. Right. And, you know, when there was the time when we finally, finally left, she got violent again. And then for a long time had been um, threatening suicide. And so she got violent and threatened suicide. And, I'm, you know, I'm going to leave and you're never going to see me again. And, and she left. And I got on the phone to National Suicide Prevention and I said, um, <laughs> things we think about is that is it child abusive if the parent continues to threaten suicide in front of my kid i mean i i had to find something that could give me the legitimacy to to leave and then i realized i could not even though my child was two three something like that she was three i think um to see to to see phones being thrown to see her wrestle me to bite me to 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 yell and scream and demean me i'm like yeah then a friend told me in california it is actually considered child abuse if a child sees this even if you are the victim and i said ooh something something's wrong here and i finally left i didn't know where i i had somebody who had said that uh, if i ever had to leave to call them and i di i did they weren't home so i just picked a random friend 
and went and left. I wish I could say that that was it, but I went back. And how many times? I went back once. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in that, I did file a restraining order. Mm -hmm. And here's the irony. No offense to your colleagues. <laughs> uh, it was a I first actually went to the – and one of the, the agencies to put on your, your list is the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Center because they have an incredible yes. domestic violence center. Uh, and I went and spoke to the attorney there, and they helped me in a restraining order. And uh, so they even sent an advocate with me, and we went down to the courthouse. And they denied it. And they denied it because this particular judge didn't believe that two women could hurt each other. Yep. I, I, I have seen it. And, um, and I the, got the fairer sex, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and then, uh, you know, I ended up going, going back because it was too hard on my daughter. So when you left the first time, yeah. sorry to interrupt, yeah, yeah. you took your to-go bag, yeah. you called a friend, you went there, yeah. but you left your daughter. No, no, no. I oh, took her with me. you took your daughter with you. Okay. Yeah. I said, honey, we're going to go, we're going to go have a sleepover with okay. a friend. And then we ended up with my sister okay. for a while, and then we went to another location for a while. And and during this time period, you went into court, asked for the TRO. Now, that's super scary, because yeah. I'll tell you, first of all, many judicial officers err on the side of caution. Right. Better to just grant it, even if it's just oh, yeah. for that 21-day period, and then there's a hearing, generally, no harm, no foul, stay away from each other, it's better. I again, because of this huge influx, people using it as leverage in their cases, particularly custody cases, mm -hmm. I am seeing more judicial officers denying them yeah. for a variety of reasons. That certainly was not a good reason. Yeah. And so then it's really scary because yeah. now you've been there, you faced your your abuser, mm -hmm. and now what the fuck do you do? Because Absolutely. you've given him or her so much more power. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in, in that, um, it, she actually did try to to commit suicide uh, twice. Um, she OD'd uh, back to back. And of course, the second time was the day before Christmas Eve. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> call your mother. Right, right. <laughs> Actually, I called her mother. Um, you know, so after that, then she went into to rehab because part of this we found out is that she was an addict and um, pain pills. And so, you know, after that, I go to file the, the, the TRO because one of the things she was very blatant about is she said, she, she said, next time, if I can't, if I can't have you and if I can't be around our child, I'm going to kill myself again. But this next time again, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try again, but this time it's going to be by cop. So yeah, she was going to create a situation where the, the cop shot her cop shot her. Uh. You would think that that all would be enough, and it still wasn't enough for the judge. So what did it do? Um, I, I, I'm telling you, it. I think the f most frustrating part in all of this is that, um, again, no offense to the legal field, <laughs> but there's not a lot of protection for us. Nope. There really isn't. And so here we are doing what we're told to do. You know, we leave, we get assistance. And then if we try to take the step to, you know, to get the legal protection, it's not granted. Uh, I did go back after she had been in recovery for a little bit, wined and dined me. Oh, my God. You know, I thought, oh, yes, there's miracles. I need to go back. And within months, it started again. 
and, and then finally, I, I did leave again after she got violent. I needed violence. Isn't that horrible? I needed violence to leave again. So she got violent, and I left. And this time, I filed again. Uh, it was granted a TRO. And then when we went to court, her attorney, I couldn't believe this. I was on the stand. And he said, he said, uh, Danielle, how, how tall are you? And I went, 5'10". How tall is my client? 5'4". How much do you weigh? And I actually, I leaned over. I said, are you really going here? He said, yes. Crazy. So it wasn't granted. And, you know, so then I have to tell you, I don't know which has been worse, being in it or being out of it. Really? Because it we just... did get divorced. But I, I think it's, as as Vivian alluded to, it has been probably more difficult now in the last six years because I thought that when I left, I thought that when I got divorced, it would stop. And it hasn't stopped. And the worst thing is that she has used my daughter against me. And at 12, is your daughter aware of what goes on between the two of you? I mean, not all of it, I'm sure, but... I refuse to tell her mm-hmm. um, much. T- and there's many times in group, I think every single one of us has said, we, co- we just want to tell our kids what's going right. on. And they're like, don't do it, don't do no, it. Don't. It and feels I can't, good for you, but it doesn't yeah, feel good and, for them. And I've even told the group and, 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 and told Vivian, I'm like, you are in my head again this week <laughs> when I wanted to just say, you know, you know why. You know, um, there were times when, when um, my daughter would say, you know, that, you know, her other mom why why is she so mean okay however as she's gotten older um she's unfortunately been able to be manipulated really well mm-hmm. even though and i think she struggles with this like you know speaking of technology i mean i literally would get 30 40 texts in like 10 minutes and not the least of which is driving um my daughter to school and my my phone was on its little holder because we don't hold our phones and drive very good no distracted driving right but all these texts are coming in and so she can see them. and she said mommy and then she referred to her other parent um she's calling you an idiot again <laughs> right it does all shake out eventually well let me let me ask you, you guys yeah. a question so from the legal perspective of custody arrangements and custody orders doesn't it Aren't there like check boxes on one of the forms that say like you can't say this in front of the kids, you can't smoke in front of the kids, you can't do all these things? Sure. In front of the kids? And then, do you think that the smoking police or the <laughs> name calling police show up on the side of the car in a motorcycle mm. and say, "We saw that text"? I guess it's not. very hard to enforce those things. Yeah. Um, and again, the suicide threats, the two, you know two attempts to get a tiro, what it turns into is a he said, she said, or in your case, a she said, she said, and a judicial officer has to decide whether it is in the best interest of the child to be exposed to both of his or her parents and to kind of figure shit out, or if there is actually a risk. What I often see also is attorneys making the argument, well, he or she may have been violent towards the spouse or partner, but they would never do anything. They've never done anything to the kid. You are doing something to the kid if you're being abusive to the spouse or the partner. 
I've seen anger management orders. I've seen supervised visitation orders. The problem is that if you have this kind of an issue, if you don't have an abuser that's willing to own it and have some agency in it, again, even I've had pe- I've had clients that have gone through 24 weeks of anger management and come out and gone like, I've done it, like we're done, and they still are angry, and they still right. don't see a problem with the behavior. And right. so right. unless you have that, nobody's really safe. We have an article on our website called Co-Parenting with an Asshole because you just <laughs> you be, so you be the best parent that you can be. Yeah. And I have a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old, and I can tell you that at those ages, they pick up all of the whatever electrical currents there are in the air, even not seeing text. They get it, and they see it, and we have to do the best that we can for them. But again, Co-Parenting with an Asshole – not fun. I'm and reading that article. <laughs> That's where the the mental health care piece really right. Comes you in have play. to really have a great support system. Well, you know, and, and and speaking of, I mean, one of the things that I fought for um, was to get our daughter into therapy, and she was in a, was seeing a therapist and and did for about a year and a half and was doing really well, except the therapist called my ex out, mm. and as soon as that happened, my ex poisoned the relationship. Right. To to our daughter. That being said, we finally got her into see somebody new who um, is is doing really well. And I will say that um, our daughter being in therapy again is has been good. And I was really really clear with the therapist. I said, "Listen, you know she's 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 getting into that tween age, and you know." You know, as a as a here's the good news. Parent, in a year, she's not going to want to have anything to do with either gonna, of you. So. Yeah, exactly, right? You know, but I'm like, you know, I really want her to get the good support and right. what she needs, et cetera. And, and I was really clear. I want her to have a third person because what she would do, I mean, again, triangulates. Yeah, mm-hmm. as as parents, we know that it, normally they're mad at you, so they go to the other parent. Well, you have a kid who gets mad at you and goes tells the abusive other parent. Right. Oh my god! And it felt like I think Vivian said it, it felt like living with a spy. Yeah. Everything I did was being reported. They need an objective safe harbor. They can talk about both of you. Yeah. They can say their feelings. I think it's really important. Yeah. And again, if they can't, if you have a co-parent that's either not willing in shared legal custody to agree to therapy, you can't afford it. Most schools, private and public, have good counselors. There should be someone that they can find that they have to go to. Mentor programs, Big Brothers and Sisters of America, wherever you are sitting and listening, there is someone not only for you but for your kid, and your kid's going to need that outlet because he or she shouldn't just be hearing from you as the victim. You cannot be objective enough and certainly not with the other person who's only got too many shitty things to say about you. Exactly. Tell us, either of you or both, what is Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles Hope Counseling? So Jewish Family Service of um, Los Angeles Hope offers comprehensive services to anybody who identifies as a um, victim of um, intimate partner violence. We have two outpatient counseling centers. We have three shelters. We um, operate... We um, have groups counseling. We have individual counseling. All of our services are free. Um, We have some really interesting, we do trainings in the community. We actually just started this really interesting um, training called Cut It Out in partnership with the Professional Beauty Association, where we actually go and train beauty professionals um, 
hairstylists, estheticians, people who are in contact with men and women who may disclose that they've been um, abused to somebody that they that's Maybe. amazing. Yeah. That's where I tell all my stuff. That's exactly it. Your manicurist <laughs> knows everything. Are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Your hairstylist and your manicurist knows everything. We have some really interesting, we offer parenting. We do a triple P parenting, which is an evidence-based parenting program. Danielle took our parenting class. Um, we have a, a great group that started um, a few years ago for, we call it the mature persons group. It's for people who are 55 and older. Far too young for that no. one. <laughs> Who have been in long-term abusive relationships whose needs maybe not being met by other groups that we have in our agency. Maybe they have adult children or they don't have children. And so, and they might be making the choice to stay in these relationships. And all of our services are, we offer services in Spanish as well. We have Spanish-speaking groups. We have Spanish therapy. I would just wanted to ask you, one of the things that's tricky, though, when I Google hope counseling, I don't find anything. Yeah. So anybody listening, do they, they have, have to? They have to go to Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles. And we are in the process of changing our website. We actually rebranded our name to Hope Counseling not that long ago. So it's all, all in transition. But Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles. And then you'll find um, Hope Counseling on our website and um, the services that we provide. So Vivian, before we're done, just a couple more things. Give us a couple red flags to watch for. If people are listening and it, either themselves or someone they know in a borderline abusive relationship, give us a couple things that you that jump out at you that you would that you'd notice if yeah. you were sitting at dinner or in group with somebody. So we're looking at isolation. That's one of the most common red flags. Is, is the person that you're with trying to keep you from seeing family, friends, really bad mouthing the people in your support system? So it's not even worth being around them. You don't want to deal with the fight. Controlling behavior is another red flag. Um, trying, wanting to know where you are, who you're with all the time, um, asking you where you're going, lots of check-ins. Um, and again, with technology, we're just always available. Um, jealousy is another really common warning sign that often goes undetected because in the beginning of a relationship, Jealousy can be really flattering. You know, they want to spend all their time with you and they want you all to themselves. And if you are somebody with an emerging kind of self-esteem or have had, you know, challenges around feeling loved or, you know, had a history of rejection, that feels good to right. have somebody want to be with you all the time. And then this, the name calling and the put downs. And sometimes early in a relationship, those kind of verbal signals are directed outward. So insulting lots of other people that they work with or coworkers or exes. family or exes. I always say ask about their ex their past relationships. How do they talk about their ex wives or ex partners or and if all they say is this person was, you know, this person cheated on me and this person did this and they did this, that's a warning sign. How would they talk about you if right. that relationship ended? And then to exit. I mean, Danielle mentioned her to-go bag. Mm -hmm. What are the things that you have to kind of have ready and be, you know, it's like your checklist yeah. when you're getting ready to go to the hospital to have a baby. Exactly. What are the things you you're... really want to have ducks in a row if you are thinking about or ready to make that exit? So ex perfect. So the, the to-go bag is essential. Having enough clothes for you and any um, dependents that you will be taking with you. Um, 
paperwork, any birth certificates, immunization records, medicine, anything that's important in value. Think about your house is on fire and you can only kind of grab, you know, a, a, a small amount of stuff. What would you want to have with you? Some of those things like immunization records, like passports, like birth certificates can take a really long time to get duplicated or get copies of. So you want to make copies of that, any financial documents. Um, Squirrel away cash if possible. We always advise our clients if they have the means. Sometimes I'll say buy gift cards. If you can't necessarily get cash, when you go to the market, can you buy yourself a $15 gift card or and, and store that? And that's, by the way, something that a family member can help you with. And we get questions all the time. Uh, my sister, my daughter is in an abusive relationship. How can I help? Offer to store their emergency bag. Offer to buy them some gift cards. Maybe help with get a burner phone. That's another kind of thing to have as a just one of those prepaid phones. I also advise clients to have extra copies of car keys. One of the um, first things an abusive partner will try to do is eliminate your access to leaving, right? right? So they'll take away your car keys or take away your house keys. Get an extra copy if you have or the valet key or whatever it is and keep it somewhere safe. From a legal perspective, I would also tell listeners, particularly if you have kids and custody is going to be an issue, have an intermediary. Doing all of the things that Vivian just discussed and then disappearing with the kids could definitely be a mark against you in a custody hearing if somebody doesn't believe that the abuse has risen to the level. So what you want to do is have somebody else to be able to call or email if it's not an attorney, somebody objective to say, hey, your kids are safe. They're with your ex. Um, we're going to try to get this worked out, but you need to know they are safe. We didn't want you to worry. We will make them available to you. Those are all things that will be important so that no, at no point a judge goes, you're just a crazy bitch and you took the kids and now you're using this for yeah. leverage. No, we took all the steps that we needed to take to show the other parent that the kids are safe, that they will be given access to the kids, but we had to remove me and them to a certain extent from this violent situation. Yes. The other thing I, I always advise clients is to start documenting. Keep a really good record, even if you feel like you're documenting minutia about him calling you a bitch this time or, or she or her throwing a shoe at you. Because when it comes time to filing a restraining order, you have to you know, remember what happened. And memory is extremely impacted when you've been under a traumatic um, situation. And so things blur together and you don't really remember when did this happen? Did this happen two weeks ago or two years ago, right. everything becomes so wishy-washy. And then your credibility is questioned, right? Well, if, how can you not remember when he or she did this to you? So document, document in a safe way. I'm going to give some information about Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles. They've got 165 years of proven experience meeting the evolving needs of our diverse and changing city. Each year, their comprehensive network of social services improves the quality of life for tens of thousands of people throughout our city, regardless of age, economic status, religion, ethnicity, nationality, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Vivian and Danielle, thank you so much for being here today on All's Fair. Let us know how people can get in touch with each of you, Vivian at, at Los Angeles Jewish Family Services and Danielle at your church. Yeah, you can contact me at Jewish Family Service of Los Angeles. My email is vingle, E-N-G-L-E, at jfsla.org. Or you can call through our um, 24-hour hotline at 818-505-0900. You can also find me at vivianinglemft.com. 
Danielle. Excellent. And you can contact me through Vivian. She'll give you the contact information because I do think it's important that folks know that there's churches that are okay with it. The spiritual component is very important. Wow, that was... Intense. That was powerful. But pa- yeah, definitely powerful. And really brave. And again, one of the reasons why we kind of switched over to All's Fair is yes. to address all kinds of relationships and all kinds of things that people will run into as they're having romantic, familial, yeah. co-parenting kind yeah. of relationships. And these statistics are staggering of yeah. how many women and men suffer from this situation. Yes. It's in the news. I mean, like we were talking about at the top of the show, it's crazy. Um, one of the things I did want to touch on, because I do see so many of these happening now from a leverage perspective, mm-hmm. and it is the fact that when somebody files in court for a domestic violence restraining order and they're doing so as a strategy or a tactic right um that's almost as disgusting as being the perpetrator of domestic violence not only are you accusing somebody of something that he or she didn't do right um you're doing it in a legal and a public forum and maybe most importantly you're taking away the 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 judicial resources, mm-hmm. the legislative resources, the court system resources of the victims that really need really that. need to wow. be in there. Wow. Now let me ask you a question. So that that is that is that called a DVRO? Yeah, a domestic violence restraining order. You only get those in family court. Okay. And what would happen is you go down on an ex parte or an emergency basis, and you show up in court and you fill out the forms or you submit the forms, and a judicial officer will decide whether or not to give you a TRO, a temporary restraining order, for a 21-day or less period. Got it. Okay? A lot of times, as I said, they will err on the side of caution. Granted, although a bunch of stuff goes along with that, if the alleged perpetrator has firearms, he or she has to turn them in. They wow. can't come within a certain amount of t- space with you, the home, right. sometimes the children as well. If you are living in your home, you have to move out for that period of time. And then a hearing is set. It must be no more than Within 21 the, right. days in advance because you have your right to a speedy trial. And does that cover, do you say that also covers, the, like if I had a restraint, a TRO against my spouse and we had kids, would my kids be covered by that? No, you'd have to put in there that you want that the kids covered as well. And the judge could say, I'm going to give it against you, but I'm not going to give it against the kids. Mm-hmm. You move out. The kids can stay there. Again, it just depends on what the facts are. Wow. And sometimes they'll say me and my new boyfriend, mm-hmm. or sometimes they'll say me, my car, my place of business, or my school. So you have to request what it is you want, right. and the judge will grant it or not. And then within 21 days, you will compile additional evidence, and the person that you're accusing will compile his or her evidence, saying it's absolutely not true or whatever else. And then you present your case, and then the judge can either grant you a, a one-year mm-hmm. or five-years period of time. And that's a much higher burden to establish because, again, it is a constitutional right to be able to go where you want. Imagine if there is a temporary restraining order granted for any period of time, and now the person who's the accuser knows where the other person's going to be, and he or she puts himself in that situation and calls the police. That's, yeah. I can't imagine. It's not easy. It sounds like it might be just an easy fix, but there's all kinds of different permutations that Mm -hmm. go into it, particularly when people have kids. And again, I think we have seen probably since about 2016, a real surge in these being used 
for uh, strategic purposes. If you have been the victim of domestic violence, you may get spousal support for a longer period of time. It certainly factors into custodial decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, as these women told us, it's not very often that somebody's going to show up at a support group or mental health care with that kind of an allegation because right. because it's that that's taking the charade a bit right. far. She said, uh, Vivian Ingle said that she had had one in, in 10, 10 years. years. That being said, there's a lot more people that have filed for temporary uh, restraining right. orders that maybe never sought any counseling at all. Right, right. Just saying. The whole t- whole time we were talking, I was reminded of Taylor Armstrong, the real housewife of Beverly Hills, yes. who we had on the show earlier in the year. And, you know, she had the whole world watching right. as she was going through some right. of this abuse. right. The other thing I want to talk about is gaslighting for anybody that doesn't know oh, yes. what that is. Yes. It's kind of like what I do to you all the time, yes. making you think that you're crazy. I could crazy. tell you what it is. <laughs> um, I think in an intimate relationship, it happens even more, particularly the kind of things like the jealousy or where have you been and the mm, checking on the phone. The idea that you think you may be losing it and the only person who's there for you that's going to really prop you up and support you is the actual person that's making you feel like you're losing your mind is really scary. Sadly, there are all types of abuse. And while all's fair in love and war, something's not acceptable. And you can count on us here at All's Fair to pinpoint what they are, talk about them, bring them to light, have real conversations about the stuff that happens in relationships. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the pretty. Yes. Thanks for listening to All's Fair, you guys. Leave us a review at iTunes and let us know what you think about today's show. I'm Laura Wasser. I'm Johnny Rains. 